Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. What do you think are your most successful, surprising casting choices? Think back to your memory of your favourite films... Most successful, surprising casting choices. I went around the team this week, asked this kind of a question. I picked up a few. Here's an image uh, to give you a couple. The extra specially gritty Agent 007, Daniel Craig turned rather effete detective in Glass Onion. Or how about the raucous comic uh, Catherine Tate turned wacky sci-fi Doctor Who. Or here's another one. Next image, please. Here's one that many can't even see to spell it out. The heartthrob Heath Ledger turned villainous Joker in Batman. Sometimes, thank you Ian, the surprise character uh, in the movie, precisely because they're so out of place, does unique things for the story uh, that no usual suspect could achieve. And the passage that we're looking at today is just one of the examples of that happening in the ministry of Jesus. So look out for it in today's passage, the God we know in Jesus Christ. He turns out to be different, very different from the expectations of his contemporaries, perhaps even of our own. And we see that through the lens of an unusual character busting into the narrative. And we're going to spend a few minutes just reliving that. So I'm going to ask Priya to come up uh, and join us here. She's going to read from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. As John just mentioned, the reading is from Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. And you will find this on page 1020 in the Pew Bibles. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet, he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him... A woman, whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Passage full of surprises and even shocks. Bit of context to uh, get us started. If you were here last week, you'll remember Jesus was at his institution busting best 
The religious leaders of the time had noticed that Jesus' disciples didn't follow the complex codes of ritual washing, which generations of religious leaders had developed. And the implication for them, at least, was Jesus and his band of followers are not the real thing. Jesus responded to them by saying that the particular codes in question were man-made. They weren't God-given in the scriptures. He's quite right, they weren't. But he didn't just excuse his disciples' behavior. He then launched a full-blown attack, stinging attack, back at the same authorities. He said Isaiah was right when he said about you hypocrites, it's pretty punchy, these people worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Ouch. That, to the pillars, the most respected leaders of Israel's religious life, the real insiders. And what he was saying to them simply was, insiders out, insiders out. Now we come to chapter 7, verse 24, and it's like we have the same story in photographic negative. It's the same thing completely the other way round. We're told, first of all, in this passage, verse 24, that Jesus had left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. So we were in Galilee, prime Jewish homeland, and we've gone north to Tyre, to a Gentile, a non-Jewish area. And to give you a flavor of what kind of a place this was, first century Jewish historian Josephus called the inhabitants of Tyre notoriously our bitterest enemies. So Jesus has definitely gone to the outside here. And what's he doing there? Well, we're told he enters a house, verse 24, and we're told he did not want anyone to know it. He's got no plans for ministry there for now, public ministry anyway. The book of Mark actually finishes with uh, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, coming to faith in the Messiah. But at this stage in the book, it's very much ministry to the Jews that Jesus is focused on. But Mark tells us he can't have it that way. Verse 24, yet he could not keep his presence a secret. It's a sign, I guess, that... God's purposes in Jesus are kind of unstoppable. Once God's king sets foot on the earth, God's kingdom won't stop pouring out of him, if you like. Once it starts rolling, it must, it cannot but spread into all the unseen corners, like like a flood, like a good flood keeps going. Not even Jesus himself can compress pause on his purpose. And all of a sudden, the people start flocking to him. We'll come back to that. But as I say, we're in Gentile territory. Word has got out that Jesus is there. And verse 25 tells us, As soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. So here is a lady. And she is the absolute opposite of those teachers of the law that we had earlier in the chapter. She's a woman, first of all. And that is very significant in her context. Women were second-class citizens in the society of the day. Uh, To give you a sense of it, I'm sure you've heard this before, the Talmud, it was one of the Jewish writings, required that Jewish men say a daily prayer. And one part of that prayer was to thank God that they weren't a woman. (laughs) But there's more in this situation. In the very same prayer, Jewish men were also supposed to thank God they weren't a Gentile. And she's one of those too. Verse 26 says she's a Greek from Syrophoenicia. Often the New Testament divides society into Jews and Greeks. Greeks is basically just non-Jews. So she's a Gentile. 
So she's a woman, she's a Gentile, and then on top of that, far from the position of privilege that the teachers of the law had, this woman is in absolutely desperate circumstances. Uh, it's the end of the first week of term in my household and a couple of other households, so I can see that right now. Uh, some of us are probably experiencing distressed children. But this is on another level. Perhaps if you've had a child who's been really unwell, really sick, really troubled, you can remember, you can recall that. I remember the grinding internal panic when our little Robin was uh, just in agony in, on a hospital bed. And that is the world of this woman. She's absolutely all-consuming, surely. Her problem, we're told, is this daughter's little daughter is possessed by an impure spirit. And later, it's, he's called a demon. Now, that's a bit of a puzzle for us. Western day-to-day doesn't have a lot of impure spirits or, or demons. At least we don't call it that. Let's just say, whatever it was, whatever combination of evil, disease, decay, she was physically, she was spiritually, she was emotionally deeply distressed, deeply afflicted. So this lady, she is the outsider. In every way, the outsider. But look how she approaches Jesus. The teachers of the law, remember, they they looked down at Jesus, they'd been pointing the finger. She comes to Jesus on the ground. She comes to Jesus on the ground, literally. She falls at his feet. She begs him. It's a gesture of complete, humble, desperate dependence. Now, we're going to come back to these couple of verses in the middle. But just skipping to the end for a moment, it's extraordinary what happens. The Jewish Messiah, Jesus, reaches out across the barriers of gender, of race, of culture, and circumstance. And he says to her, for such a reply, you may go, the demon has left your daughter. Isn't he astonishing? Jesus is astonishingly good, astonishingly powerful, and his love just outrageously broad. So that's the story. What are we to take home from this encounter? Well, the first thing that stands out is this. Jesus brings an extraordinary reversal. We already said the insiders are out, and now the outsiders are in. The insiders are out, and now the outsiders are in. Insiders from last week, Jesus has roundly condemned the worship at the temple. He says, what are you guys doing here? It's fake worship. No hearts. Completely in vain. You might as well not bother. You may have a long family history of temple attendance. Uh, you may have an important job in the temple council. You may have made a living out of religious instruction. Preachers beware. But listen, if it's man-made, it's fake. Don't bother. Insiders out. But by contrast, the outsiders are in this outsider, like this Syrophoenician woman. Okay, I want you to imagine uh, this is a uh, music festival, okay? This is going to attempt to illustrate what's going on here. Imagine this was a concert by Jesus the Messiah, okay? So, Jesus the Messiah, after castigating the band, he's the lead singer, He has gone past the people with the backstage pass. He's gone past all the VIPs down the front. He skipped over all the expensive seats just behind them. 
He's gone past everyone, in fact, with tickets. In fact, he's gone to the entrance where the bouncers are standing and uh, people are being let into the stadium. And he's walked past all these murmuring, bewildered fans who uh, were sure they were here to listen to him. And he's gone out of the door into the back streets beyond, far beyond the stadium with his guitar. And he's now sitting with a broken young woman holding a baby, playing just for her. And he's looking her in the eye. And she's loving it. That's what's going on here. The outsider is drawn in. That's an extraordinary moment. Extraordinary moment. It's, it's a trailer, really, of what's going on here. Trailer of what is to come. There's the temporary healing of one outsider points forward to the complete healing of every outsider that comes to the Lord Jesus with this same humble, dependent faith. And you know, it's part of the reason why we're here today. We may have a, pe- a couple of people of Jewish extraction amongst us today. It's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, if you are, most of us are Gentiles. Most of us are on her side. And we are here because we are outsiders who've been welcomed in. It's also why even now we're still waiting for the kingdom to come in all its fullness. We look and pray for signs of that day to be saved from evil, for complete physical healing, for all relationships restored. But we're still waiting. The insiders are out. The outsiders are in. Now, there's comfort and challenge here, I think. Comfort, first of all. Comfort for every genuine outsider. Maybe you feel like an outsider. Maybe you didn't go to church uh, as a young person. Perhaps you don't have really any religious heritage or background to speak of. Or perhaps you feel you've blown it if you did. Uh, Perhaps you're weighed down by guilt uh, for not taking much of an interest in spiritual things. Perhaps you feel alienated from church in general, or specifically from the subculture of this church. Uh, You may be going through very desperate times. Your family may be confronting massive challenges. Perhaps you're struggling with immigration status, and therefore this sense that, you know, you're very much on the outside. Your experience of life maybe feels a bit like a curse right now. You may feel acutely that you don't measure up We could go on. But if you've glimpsed enough of Jesus, if you're ready to call him Lord, your Lord, your master, if you can throw yourself at his feet, if you can come to him in humble dependence and say, Lord, please drive out the demons, drive out the evil in my life, then you are welcome in his kingdom. You can begin right now to enjoy a relationship with God in Jesus And for someone in this room today, that may be something that you've never done before. Today may be the first time for you to do that. It may be, actually, that's something you've done long before. But today is the day to recover that attitude. To find yourself, as it were, in the Syrophoenician women, at the feet of Jesus. Huge comfort. But I think there's challenge, too. There's challenge, too. Because Jesus' love is not only outrageously inclusive, it is also outrageously exclusive. Because Jesus is only after the humble, only after the dependent hearts. He won't stand for the sham that he's been looking at 
in the teachers of the law. He won't stand for pretend going through the motions religion. So where do we find ourselves today? Insiders are out, even while the outsiders are in. Insiders are out, even while the outsiders are in. Okay, second uh, and, and final point. The second thing we learn from this encounter, get with the kingdom program. Get with the kingdom program. Now, I, I'm less sure about this, so you'll have to evaluate it. Read the scriptures, tell them, you, you work out whether you think I'm, I'm right on this. But I think we're supposed to see in this woman a challenge for each of us to get with Jesus' program. The woman, you remember, had begged Jesus to cast out the demon, and uh, he doesn't at first. Instead, he says, it's pretty shocking, verse 27, he says, first, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, if that sounds denigrating at face value, it's because it is. Uh, Jesus is using the language of Racial hierarchy, uh, familiar to the Jews of that day. The Jewish people saw themselves as the children of God, the rightful heir of God's promises. And so they came to see the Gentiles as lesser. So that's where this title, dogs, an an offensive term, comes from. So we might translate Jesus' words to this woman, look, let the Jews receive their Messiah. Wouldn't be right to take him from them and offer him to the lesser Gentiles. And to that, the woman replies, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And I mean, when you think of the place that she's in, just think about her life circumstances right now. It is surely the punchiest and indeed the wittiest response to Jesus in the entirety of the scriptures. Uh, let's, let me attempt to translate. She says this, Jesus, you're my master. And okay, I may be a Gentile. I may not be a Jew. I may be at the back of the queue. But I know who you are, and I am going to take from you whatever I can get. Now, what is going on here? Why this exchange? We know Jesus planned his ministry to start with the Jews and then spreads to the Gentiles. Did he, in fact, see them as lesser? And if he didn't, why why have we got this exchange? Well, the commentators struggle to agree, so I'm going to offer my uh, tentative uh, explanation. And I'm going to do it by means of a hypothetical heavenly meeting, which, on the basis of what we know about God, definitely didn't happen. Okay. So imagine for a moment the Lord in eternity past, he is scripting this moment with his council of angels. And the whole council, all of them are in on it. They know that this thing's going to happen, and they also know that it's going to be written down in a book which billions of people are going to read. So some archangel summarizes the conversation so far and, uh, you know, think sort of script discussion. And he says something like this. Okay, right, so uh, we've got Jesus meeting the Syrophoenician woman. And in this encounter, what we'll do is we'll have Jesus explain to her that, you know, no one is excluded, everyone is included. And, and then Jesus is going to heal her daughter to prove it. And you know, people are going to read it and they're going to love this. I mean, it's going to be really powerful, really, really iconic. Short silence in the council. And then imagine there's some other angel there. And, and this angel is kind of known for their borderline creative stroke annoying uh, contributions. Okay? And uh, uh, this angel pipes up. She opens her mouth. Eyebrows already slightly rising here. Thinking this is 
time for the end of this meeting. She says, look, I tell you what, why don't we, why don't we turn this around? Let's have the woman tell Jesus what his mission is, rather than Jesus tell her. And there's, there's a bit of an uncomfortable shuffle in, in the room, and uh, you can see angelic minds processing the idea of a Gentile woman challenging the male Jewish Messiah on his mission. Bit of a sharp intake of breath. And then she says again, look, if you want them to remember this story, if you want them to remember that the Messiah's mission is to the outsider, get the outsider to explain to the, to the Messiah himself. Why didn't you get her to be the one pushing the mission forwards? Give her the courage to call him on it. They may wince, but they'll remember it. Okay, that conversation didn't happen. But you get the idea. If that's the spirit, if that's the spirit, this this woman is a huge challenge to us. We live in a world where many people have yet to wake up to Jesus' kingdom program. They don't know he's come for all nations and every single person. Jesus is looking to be Lord of every life on this planet. In fact, here's the surprise. Many people in the church have yet to wake up to Jesus' kingdom program. Perhaps you're one of them. You, just, you haven't really got that that's his agenda. I know this is me for many hours of the week. I'm happy to be included in the program. I'm not particularly bothered right now. It's not really on my to-do list to advance that agenda further. So here's the question for us, here's the challenge for us. Will we advocate, will we put on our to-do list those things that are going to forward, move forward the all-people-reaching mission of God? Will we act and speak and plan and show up to make it happen? We've got some wonderful people in this church family who give us an example of that. I got an uh, email uh, this weekend of what was going on on Friday at the, at the warm spaces, doing uh, stories, reading stories to school kids coming in. Great opportunity there to show, share something of the beginnings uh, of the Christian faith with those kids who come in. And there are so many other things going on. If we're to fulfill our vision to be a place of Christ-centered revival for South Croydon and beyond, we need loads of people like that. We need evangelists. And I don't just mean official evangelists, evangelists in every walk of life. We need people who have a passion for Jesus' name. We need Christian mothers and fathers who long to see their kids in the kingdom. We need colleagues who are going to pray for God's will to be done in their workplaces. Last week, the Times put out uh, an article, I don't know whether you noticed it, uh, uh, saying that Britain is no longer a Christian country. You can agree or disagree about that. What the Lord is looking for is people who wish it were so, who have a heart, a passion to see Christ honored. And we need this for for our borough of Croydon. I've had the privilege the last three years to meet a collection of people who are absolutely on fire to see Jesus honored in Croydon. But we need an army of people like that, many more, who will gather regularly to pray, to work, to reach others. Croydon is a bit like Tyre. It's a bit like Syrophoenicia, isn't it? It's a little bit kind of forgotten by some, but not by the Lord. Who from Emmanuel might catch that vision and drive it forward? Well, there's much more to say, but that will have to do for now. Perhaps we can take this challenge. How will every one of us take the challenge of this woman and get on board with that kingdom program? 
Well, one glimpse I thought we might enjoy as a part of this is to hear one ministry that we're involved with, which is wonderful in reaching across the barriers of race and gender and all sorts of other things, and that's Salam, our English language class. And so uh, Natasha is just going to give us a bit of an interview with Romy uh, and give us a sense of what that ministry uh, is doing and what it looks like to be serving in that way at the moment. Yes, Salam. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. Romy is one of the teachers from Salam, and she is going to tell us a little bit about it this morning. Romy, thank you so much for coming. Um, Do you want to just introduce yourself first of all? My name is Romy. I'm married to Ranil, and we've got two sons, Johan and Christopher, and we've been worshipping at Emmanuel for the last 12 years, and we usually come for the evening service. Great. So, Romy, you help at an English class called Salam. Can you just tell us a little bit, what is Salam for people that don't know? Salam is an English conversation class for women, which was started 10 years ago. And it's really aimed at the women around Croydon who's learning who are trying to learn English as their second language. And I'm not, I was not supposed to mention this, but I'd like to add that Salam was started by Natasha. It was her vision 10 years ago. And she started it with the help of Rachel Webster. And it has been amazing what they have done. I am yes, just, okay. I, I'm, just only, <laughs> I'm just only a teacher that was hired by Natasha nine years ago. Romy, what sort of women, <laughs> what sort, she's always been a bit like this, by the way, she's, she's a little bit naughty. What sort of women come to this English class? Yeah, we've got women from all sorts of backgrounds. Um, we had a lot of women, refugees from Ukraine who came last year. And we've got a, quite a few from Afghanistan, who, women who have never had the opportunity of any education, they don't know to read or write. And then we've got um, quite a lot of women who have come from Hong Kong, China. They've come as part of the green light approval from our government. And then we've got wives of businessmen who have come here because of their, their jobs and their children go to school here. Mm. So we've got a, quite a variety of women. So, Romy, John's been talking to us this morning about welcoming the outsider, and that is very much the idea behind this ministry of Emmanuel Church. How do you think, as a final question, Salam is different from other English classes in our area? So, at Salam, most of our teachers, all of them are Christians, and we are just <coughs> being welcoming these women, just as John's sermon about welcoming the outsider and Jesus in the Bible had such a heart for women and he especially the women at the edge of the community and we are just extending God's love to these women who have some of them have gone through very difficult circumstances so and also the vision of Emmanuel Church is 
welcome, but un unconditional welcome to all. And that's precisely what we do at Salaam. Bomi, will you just stay because I want to pray with you and for you. Come. Father God, we want to say thank you for the opportunity that Salam has to welcome women from all walks of life, from all cultural backgrounds, into a place where they can find friendship and acceptance as the first point before they start to learn English. <coughs> Father, I thank you for the opportunity for this team to share your love at different points in the year. Thank you for the relationship that builds, that means that we can then show why we do what we do. And thank you for the faithful team. Thank you, Lord, that you gather the outcast. You love the stranger. And we pray that as a church and through our ministries, we would do the same. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week. Thank you.